Good morning. This is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, here this morning with Mary Ellen Johnson, who is a font of knowledge about local history. Welcome, Mary Ellen. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. (laughs) Um, I have in front of me a book that you co-authored that we use all the time in the newsroom because it gathers bits and pieces through pictures and words of all of Gilderland's, or maybe it's only scratching the surface of Gilderland's history. But uh, Mary Ellen also writes a delightful column in the Historical Society newsletter. And I'd like to begin by talking about that, because I know you have an upcoming presentation at the Gilderland Library on place names. So how long have you been writing that column? Oh, probably... It started very small. In fact, I think I reprinted, probably I broke copyright laws. I reprinted some things from the Howell and Penny 1886 uh, History of Albany County. But then I gradually got into it. And once they digitized the Altamont Enterprise, it meant that you could go back and start finding out information about life as it was lived, particularly from 1884 right up through the 20th century. So then it became a great source of knowledge, and I could really go into detail and do research. Yeah, just so listeners know, those historic papers, um, we gave them to the library, and so you can go to the Gilderland Public Library site and research. But what you do with research is really interesting. <laughs> How do you come up with your topics? Like recently you had a charming one on drive-in theaters in Gilderland. How do you, like, where do they come from? Just one of those things that comes to mind is, what could I write about next? And you think about it, and you, I have some topics. I'd like to write, <clears throat> for example, the effect the throughway construction had on Gilderland. When you think what it did to Fort Hunter area, And McCownville, it really brought some changes to those two sections of our town. So that, of course, it requires research. Unfortunately, the Albany papers aren't digitized, so I can sit at home and just be at my computer and do research because there's so much that you could find, say, in the Albany Evening Journal back in the late um, 19th century or in the Albany Argus or even in the Knickerbocker News when you get into the 20th century. So... uh, I, I trips to the state library uh, every now and then I do one, but it's kind of a pain in the neck to go down there to use the microphones. But the Albany, uh, the Altamont Enterprise, great resource. That's good to know. So let's just talk a little about how you developed one column. I'm assuming you're going to have a column on place names that goes with the presentation. Is well, it? I'm going to. Unfortunately, it's a slideshow because oh. I haven't gotten into doing PowerPoint. We're going to buy a projector this coming winter. So maybe I'll get it. If we can get somebody to teach me how to do it, that's IT people will be really, really good to have in an organization these days. Do you hear that? Is there an IT person out there that could help the Historical Society? You wouldn't even... I, I know Mary Allen told me she was wanted me to talk about the history. She brings in people to speak to the Historical Society members about the enterprise. And I fortunately have Marcello Yaya who helped you know, put together this PowerPoint so that we could do it. But um, with the place names, though, how, where did that idea come from, and how did you develop it? Well, it's like this. For the last three years, um, we've put in an archival exhibit, and Carol Hamblin did that one. 
in honor of Archives Month, which is October, mm-hmm. and we fill up four of the cases in the library, then I've taken over November, if, which is New York State History Month, and I come up with a topic every year, and I kind of think of, what could I do if I do this again? I've already got a t- thought for next year already. Can you give us a little preview? Uh, what is it? <laughs> um, getting, getting from here to there and talking about transportation and maybe the... the um, the old taverns, which morphed into hotels because there's a change in uh, recreation in the United States. Because, see, I try to bring in sometimes the trends in American history, especially social history, that Gilderland, it's reflected in Gilderland. There's no yes, question about it. Yes, you use a local lens to look at these larger trends. Or, or at maybe both ways, yeah. actually. And sometimes think, okay, I would like to write about motels. So I've got a book that I've managed to find on motels that I've got stashed home that one of these days I'll get into it because that's something that would be interesting because the old-time motel, and there were many of them in, in along Route 20, they're basically gone think about it yeah uh, so uh, that's how I it's just one of those things that comes across my mind what well that could be something that we, we could think about and getting from here to there we would have a lot of pictures because my exhibit always focuses on pictures with captions so right now at the library there's a four cases full of pictures from our our collection reflecting each area of town and many of these areas have kind of disappeared newer people living in Gildland wouldn't even have an idea that they exist so uh. yeah well just so people know the cases she's talking about are in the front entryway and hallway of the Gilderland Public Library which is right on Western Avenue but um the little teaser that was sent out, or maybe it was Mark Curiali that wrote it in his library column, was saying a place name that I never heard of. Let me try to remember what it was. Um, it had to do with Rensselaer, Rensselaerwick, oh, I think. Oh, the West Manor of Rensselaerwick. It was, um, back in the 1600s, the Dutch West India Company, based on Hudson's voyage up the Hudson, claimed <clears throat> this area, and they started a colony, which they called New Netherland, but New Netherland didn't have very many people living in it. The ne- the Netherlands in Europe actually was a better place to live than many other places where there was a lot of religious persecution and so on. And as a result, people from the Netherlands didn't want to come over here to live, whereas people from England who were being persecuted for religion were pouring into places like New England or Virginia, whatever. And so they had to come up with a scheme to entice people to come here. They said to their merchants, who were all investors in this company, if you bring, you spend the money to send over at least 50 settlers, we'll give you a chunk of land. Well, Van Rensselaer, who was a diamond merchant in Amsterdam, said, okay, he sent over people, and he was given a tract of land 12 miles on both sides of the Hudson River. It did not include the settlement of Fort Orange and Beverwick, but it included land around it, what became Albany County, for example, Rensselaer County. And so this was named Rensselaerwick, and we were the West Manor, in the West Manor, because we were on the west side of the river. And this land, remember, remains in that family until the anti-rent wars in, say, the 1830s and 40s, so that this was uh, made this family very, very wealthy. 
Yeah. And because these farmers and settlers had to pay rent and there were leases involved and so on, they weren't about to sell their land. They were leasing their land to bring in perpetual rents, much as you had in Europe with the tenant farmer or the the peasants who lived on the big manors in the the feudal system. Yeah. So that's where the West Manor of Rensselaer came in. Wow. So just could you tell us a little about yourself and how you got it so interested in history and so capable in writing about it? Well, I've always, I, I don't know, it's something that I've always been interested in. Um, and I've always been a nonfiction reader. Uh, oh, I mean, I did the Nancy Drew books and that stuff. But at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, I was reading nonfiction, even as a child. And uh, it's just, Where did you grow up? Um, downstate in Rockland County in New City. And at that time, it was a very rural, unsettled area because it was on the west side of the Hudson. Mm-hmm. And the only way to get there was either the Bear Mountain Bridge or the George Washington Bridge. It was only when the thruway opened and the Tappanzee Bridge opened, plus um, Robert Moses built the Palisades Parkway, which connected the George Washington Bridge with the Bear Mountain Circle. It was like overnight development. So the little place I grew up in that had about 1,200 people when I was, say, eight years old, now has about 30,000 people just in that hamlet alone. Oh, my goodness. So it's a whole different place down there now, and I do go back there regularly with families. But what made you start pursuing history? I mean... I just loved it, even as a a student in school. And What did you study in school? Well, I went to Albany State, which at... I'm back in the days of the teacher's college. Yeah. And it was free tuition in those days. So uh, I went back, I went to Albany State and I wanted to major in, in history. And at that, you know, social studies was the thing. And I majored in that and loved it. And I minored in English. So it was a good combination. Yes, right. And then history. I went into teaching. And again, I wanted to go get a college degree. First one in the family to get a college degree. When I got into teaching, it wasn't like I wanted to be a teacher. I discovered I was really good at it. So I stayed and I had a career in teaching. And what what did you teach? Social studies. Ah, so these trends that you're aware of and the way you write, it isn't just dates and places. You have this whole, that's kind of how you got your sense of overall social trends. Oh, yes. And if you want to be an interesting teacher, you have to bring in more than just... You know, the Constitutional Convention was such and such a date. Uh, you try to bring in personalities and, as you say, trends. And I've always been interested in social history also. Well, that fits with the what I know of you because you seem like a teacher, just the way you approach <laughs> things and kind of draw people in. Well, also, I'd just like to hear a little about the historical society itself and what it involves and what the members do, that kind of... Well, the... Basic purpose of the historical society is preserve Gildan heritage. And when I say that, we are not capable of going out and saving a building. But we do try to preserve pictures, papers, uh, small objects, that kind of thing. Um, Also, to then educate the public about it, which is kind of where I come in with research and and working on the pictures that we have and so on. our problem is, like every other volunteer organization, we don't have enough volunteers. And How many members are in Oh, there? there's a huge number of members, but the Garden Club, Gillen Garden Club, is part of the historical society because we're required to have liability insurance to use the Minders Frederick House, and it works out that they are 
technically a subcommittee of the historical society because we pay for the liability insurance and as they have to be a member of the historical society even if they're just a member of the garden club so we have a huge membership over 100 people but we only have a very small group of us who are actively involved in the historical society itself so that's a real problem and we could definitely use an IT person we could use volunteers sometimes just to be at an event you know at the library Saturday on the 18th um, they've told me I could bring publications to sell and you know we can bring membership brochures and so on well, we need somebody else to be there. Well, will I find somebody who's going to volunteer? I don't know. We'll have a, a, our meeting Thursday on the 16th. So so you mentioned the, and I've, I guess I've always mispronounced it. How do you say well, it's Minders like this, Frederick they, it, We used to have a merchant in Altamont many, many, many years ago, you know, with the general store. Mm-hmm. And his name was Minders. They say Minders. I was okay. told Minders. Okay. I don't know if there's really any right or wrong way of saying it. It's either one. But that's where you're based as yes, a society. And, and just tell us a little about the history of that house. Oh, Who was Frederick? And how did well, it's, it, it was built by um, the, Minders, the Minders family, or Minders, either one, lived in what's the Freeman House. Now, the reason it's called the Freeman House is a 1767 they call it the bleaker map of the West Manor of Rensselaerwick. And it's it's actually keyed with numbers on to tell you who was in. So we know, for example, the Apple Inn was there. He's on it, Hendrick Apple. And Robert Freeman is the name of the person who was in. And that's the red house next the, to the, the church. Red the red house. Now, I'm sure it was a much smaller little place. Uh-huh. The same thing with the Apple Inn. And I know that was a smaller place. Um and so we that's why it's called the Freeman House. But actually, at the time the, the Frederick House was built was the Minders family, and he had been a Revolutionary War veteran, and Nicholas was his son. And the house was built and as a store and tavern. It wasn't built as a house, someone's home. It was built with a purpose, and the bar is still downstairs. Oh you would have goodness. come in down through, there's a... A, a door, a cellar door there that would flop open that you could go down into the bar. I says, you can't go down there because there's no, you know, you'd have to have all the, meet the codes, and it would not definitely in this oh, day and age. I was going to say, meet, at no. all those open houses, I no, never knew oh, it was there. But well, it, we, I have pictures. One time I went down and took pictures down there. So we made up a board with colored pictures on to show the attic and the cellar. So people can see what's down there, yeah. but it's not accessible. I mean, I'm not sure I was even supposed to be down there, but <laughs> anyway. It's a beautiful house. Oh, it is. It really is. And luckily, so anyway, Nicholas Menders built it in 1802. He became the first town supervisor when Gilderland was created as a town and was named Gilderland after the... Um, the uh, the province of the Netherlands that the Rensselaer family came from. And so that's how and it was. Gelderland is the name in the Netherlands and anglicized to Gilderland over here. But according to what I've read, we're the only place in the United States with this name. And um, he's elected as the first town supervisor. And apparently he was very up and coming. He was then elected to the New York State Assembly. And then he died at his very young man in his 30s. So uh, it that, what had, they always said, well, he was a tavern keeper and he um, 
then sold the house to uh, Michael Fredericks, but it didn't work out that way. He died so young, he couldn't possibly have sold it. So whether it remained in the family and they leased it out, and then, because Michael Fredericks only comes into it, by 1866, on the Beers map, it's listed as Frederick. Um, before that, it said H. Slack on an 1854 map. So whatever ha- you know, whatever happened, we don't know. It's not as smooth as they thought it was. But at mm. any rate, the town of Gildalyn owns it, and the town of Gildalyn runs it. They allow the Historical Society and the Garden Club, and the Garden Club's made a beautiful garden in front of it, to use it. And also the DAR meets there as well. Well, I'm just listening to this. It's amazing. It's like your Sherlock Holmes. You take these little pieces, like from a map or from how, I mean, how do you, what resources are there available locally for people to research history? You mentioned the online enterprise, but I mean, what physical? Okay, there's, there are definitely, and they've been, uh, they're available. For example, we have copies. There's a Gould map of 1854. There's a Beers map of 1866. I encountered, encountered a directory and which tells um, names and then what their occupation was, how many acres, because most of them were farmers, so that you can get information from that. I mean, there are census records. And the state of New York would do a census ad on the fifth year of a decade. So there's the the uh, the one at the federal, federal census, census every 10 years. Yes, and they would do it every 10 years, but it would be on the 5th year rather than on the on the zero, you know, oh. the even year. So with a with change the of, New York state ones put with the federal ones, you've got something every 5 oh, years. Oh yes, for example, I've researched slavery. Now the 1890 census is not too valuable because we were then part of the town of Waterville. So you've got this huge number of people cuz colony was also made from the town from Waterville. Um, but in, as soon as the 1810 census comes, you can then research Gildalyn. They list slaves. So you could find out. It's amazing. The Minders family had five slaves. I'm just taken aback. <laughs> so what was the time on this? What was well, the-, 18, the 1800 census were still part of the town of Waterville, okay. which is a huge area, including what would now be the city of Waterville, what would now be Colony. I don't, I couldn't, you know, there might have been other areas involved, plus Gildalyn. When we were broken away, we were broken away from the city of Waterville, or right. the, not the city, the, excuse me, the town of Waterville. And um, once the 1810, see, we were bro- we started in 1803, 1810 census starts listing us as a separate entity. Mm-hmm. We're not mixed in with all these mm-hmm. people from other in fact i i don't sure what have included bethlehem but anyway it was a huge mm-hmm. area so so have you written about slavery oh yes oh. as much as i could find out mm-hmm. now you say what other resources are there the state library has microfilms of the albany newspapers that we have the state archives and i've never really gotten into the state archives some of it's online. I mean, if you sat probably with a computer. And- I recently found some that was fascinating online because we were writing about the Constitutional Convention proposal. Right, I, right. And you can go back and look at 
really detailed photographs of the documents in that old-fashioned spidery mm-hmm. handwriting from each of the constitutional conventions. And it's right online. You can actually read the words that they wrote. It's quite thrilling. And because I'm such a nonfiction reader, I always have a couple of books going, um, I realized that if you really were writing history, you'd want primary sources. Go to the real letters, mm-hmm. the real mm-hmm. diaries, that kind of thing. I don't have the time to really do that because I've got leaves to rake this afternoon. And you know, <laughs> uh, so, uh, but there are a lot of resources if you enjoy doing that. And I'm like a little beagle following a bunny. You know, I get into something. Now, what could I? Oh, I bet if I looked up such and such, I could maybe. And you'd be surprised how all of a sudden things fall into place like that. And then you make it very accessible. I mean, reading your columns, it's not like a list of dates. It's a, it's a very readable, kind of charming way of um, seeing things unfold. Well, it's also because the Enterprise is so... These old columns were so personal. Mm-hmm. For example, I just wrote about grist mills, and John Batterman apparently had a big grist mill right down on Route 20, what, Route 20 now. And... All of a sudden, he fell into poverty in his old age. And when I read the, the write-up in the little column, the Gilderland column of the Enterprise, it was so sad because he ended up in the old man's old men's home in Albany, which I assume was part poor of the poorhouse. Yeah. And uh, it was like, oh, this is so sad. You, you find these things. And all of a sudden, it's very you, personal. So therefore, you can then make some of this more personal, too, as you write about it. Now, you mentioned that you're always reading history books. What are you reading currently? What's, what's on your I'm nightstand? Reading, I'm reading a book on sound in the movies, how sound came to the movies. And it's all about the development of, for example, the Warner Brothers getting into the sound movies. And I haven't gotten to the point where they've released um, the one with Al Jolson singing. Mm-hmm. But it's very fascinating how they're working to... Some people, of course, thought this would never be. People would never want to go to a movie and actually hear people talking and other people were looking ahead just as we have all these changes in technology this was a giant leap in technology so I'm reading that and I'm reading another book about Unity Mitford who was a uh, British aristocrat who was in love with Hitler and went to Germany and finally when the war broke out she tried to kill herself but all she did was she didn't do the job effectively so she was from then on uh, basically incapacitated and they managed to pull strings and get her back to England even though the war had started and then she died not too long you know in a few within a few years so her name is Unity Mitford and it's part of the Mitford sisters they were quite famous in their day um, one of them wrote a book about you and non-you English the various uh, patterns of speech that the aristocrats had versus, say, working-class people. In, oh, my goodness. Uh, so that, um, I don't know if I can think of any kind. Um, some, If you were working-class, you'd say serviette, whereas if you were upper-class, you'd say napkin. And, then, you know, she picked out all these words that... Uh, and I think there's probably some speech patterns like that today. Oh, do you? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, isn't yes, you could. No, you could certainly find. regional speech patterns. Right, but isn't right. that interesting? Yes. So that's what I'm reading right now. Well, there. I mean, they're so diverse. I can't even like wrap my mind around. Well, I have I have certain topics I enjoy <clears throat> reading about. Movies up to the end of the the big um, uh, companies like MGM. Remember, they had those big. Uh, movie companies that the, in the end, I think it was the antitrust broke up mm-hmm. the movie company, big companies and um, studios, I guess. And I always enjoy reading about 
um, I love British royalty. <laughs> That's one of my hobbies. And uh, I like reading, uh, all, uh, I'm interested in World War II, Civil War, um, American social history. And I've sort of got more interest in American history. I was always big on European history, but I've gotten much more interested now in reading about American history. Another topic I wanted to just ask about is what, you know, like these pictures that you got, this treasure trove. I'm patting the book here. It's one of the images of America, the Arcadia series. Um, are are they all housed at the Minders Frederick Yes, we have. Or is... Uh, we were very. I mean, I was not around in when this the, when the historical society started and when they began collecting. When pictures. did they start? Um, I think it was nineteen seventy, early seventies. Because when the town acquired the house, and apparently this was when Carl Walters was supervisor, he was also interested in having a historical group start mm-hmm. and. It, the bicentennial was coming up. I was going to say a lot of the uh, local yes. history oh, clubs yes. started it, with the bicentennial. But anyway, luckily, one Roger Keenholz was interested in photographs, and so was Fred Abley, who was um, a man from McCownville. In fact, he used to write a column in the yes, Enterprise. Yes, I remember him, um, and I certainly and, remember Roger Keenholz. Right. So his any, whole house was like a museum. <laughs> he had so many artifacts. So <clears throat> anyway, they started collecting pictures, and see, many of these pictures are photographs of photographs. Now, nowadays, I can go to UPS with, you could give me a snapshot, for example, that would be of of local interest. I can take it down there, and they can do a laser copy of it that's perfect, Mm -hmm. and they can make an enlargement that's perfect, whereas a photograph of a photograph is not necessarily as sharp as that. Unfortunately, Alice Begley and I wanted to do a second volume on Gildwin, but most of the pictures we have are copies, and they wouldn't meet the standards. They have to be original photographs. So we have a huge collection of pictures. Some of them are originals, but a lot of them are copies. And we have them housed in albums of uh, with art, you know the acid-free sleeves and so mm-hmm. on. Um, and we they were set up. And I, when I retired from teaching in 1994, I got into working with the photographs with Ruth Abley, who was the widow of, of Fred. And they were housed by sections of the town, which is one of the reasons I got into this idea of sections of the town. You know, Which is how the book is organized, yes. just so people know. They're placed, yes. oh, place names. Here right. we are again with that, but right. um, in each. And um, so, you know, in working with those pictures, plus I started writing around in Gilderland, I all of a sudden discovered all these places. It's only recently that I went up to, oh, about two years ago, I went up to the Altamont Winery and got up in those roads in the Settles Hill section mm-hmm. of town. I thought, holy cow, I can't believe it's so rural up here yet. So uh, it's it's quite interesting finding out. And some of these places, now newcomers would never know they existed. Fuller's, for example, you'd never know that existed. Yeah, I think that happens a lot as suburban development comes in. Things start looking more the same and feeling more the same. And I just wonder if you have any perspective. Gilderland has tried to take a look at each of its hamlets when it's planning for its future. I mean, do you have a sense of, from history, areas you just mentioned, Settle Hill, still very rural, but um, say McCownville versus Westmere or... Westmere as opposed to Gilderland Center. Do you have a sense, because of all the history you know and old pictures you've seen, of how these 
places are distinguishable from each other? Because I think in a lot of modern minds, they just kind of run together. <laughs> I think one of the problems is the fact that the the post office, my Gildan Center has become Altamont um, mailing address, so that unless you actually use the little Gildan Center post office, you wouldn't know that it's Gildan Center. We have the Gildan Center Fire Department. Really, the fire departments keep lives, or the names, rather, alive. Mm -hmm. Um, Fort Hunter. Who would know they're in Fort Hunter, except that it says Fort Hunter Fire Department? Right, because the school used to be Fort Hunter there, too, but now it's Pine Bush. So you're saying institutions like the post office or the fire department kind of keep a name alive. Well, not the post office, because Because think how many people in Gildan get their mail to a Schenectady address, an Albany address, uh, an Altamont address who don't live anywhere near the village, mm-hmm. and only a small area of Gildalyn has an actual Gildalyn address. You're right, because whenever we're writing a story, I always have to ask people, but where do you actually live? Seriously, so, that yeah. is, that's, and I mean, Gildalyn Center, the only thing we have is the Gildalyn Center Fire Department, other than the little post office that we have. But are there other, like, personalities to these places that you can still see reminders of? You know how you said Settles Hill is rural? Is there anything, say, about McCownville that distinguishes it from its history? I guess it's the oldest settled part, no? No. No? Okay. No. Um, I think you'd find that probably um, Gildaland, the Camelot of Gildaland, because the, the glassworks was there in the late... 17, I think that started in 1785. So this is like Foundry Road, Willow Street area. Right, right. Um, As far as a community goes. um, Plus the Palatines were trekking through here, but this was not settled that early either. uh, Probably as as a community, probably the hamlet of Gildland probably is the absolute oldest. I don't know. I'd have to really think about that. We did a home and garden story on um i think it's the school craft house not the not the mansion being right. fixed up but on willow street there's a very old house yes, there that, where henry um, rose henry, was right born. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and i just loved the history there because you know of who henry rowe was and i don't know if you can share some of that history with our listeners he was somebody who researched the native americans yes and he actually went a, out to the midwest and yeah. that's where he did most of his research but apparently he wrote a a poem, um, Heldebergia, which Arthur Gregg printed, had printed in the Enterprise in its entirety, and it's not exactly what I think it was great literature, but Arthur Gregg often referred to little parts of it, and possibly he's the one who's, who has passed down the Henry Rowe, saved the word Tawasenta, which meant place of the dead, because it was supposedly in Indian burial ground near where the Norman skill flowed into the Hudson. And uh, so he's the one. Also, there used to be an Iosco baseball team way back in the, I guess, 1890s, early 1900s in Gilman, which Henry Rowe, I guess, came up with that name, was an Indian name. So, uh, uh, so yeah. that in that way, he had an effect on Gildland, but most of it was the fact that he was born here, but he did his main work in, in the Midwest. Yeah. Well, our time, unfortunately, is up, but do you have any 
parting thoughts for people or things we haven't touched on that you think are really important? Or? Well, I, I wish people would develop more of an interest in Gilman history because we do have a really rich heritage. And I think, as you say, with the suburban sprawl, it kind of gets lost. And I'm sure now we're not the only town with the same mm-hmm. feeling about that. So, uh, And support your local historical society. <laughs> and that's a great note to end on. Thank you, Mary Ellen.